Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello. And welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast. Look at I'm growing. What on earth is that voice? <laughs> Should it? Well, all will be revealed later in the episode. Is, is that a teaser for something? It is a teaser for something, but it's uh, Scooby-Doo is it exactly what it is. All the consonants have to be R's, though. They do. Waggy. No, they have to be, R's have to be W's. R's are W's. Waggy. And, and S's. Well, but give me a booby whack. <laughs> <laughs> I think this imp- impression is crumbling a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. Well, no. Oh, will be revealed later anyway. Yeah, welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. I'm Johnny. And I'm Callum. Um, and yeah, this week we're going to talk about a TV series and a movie. Indeed we are, and it's sort of a um, touch on what we did uh, last week, because uh, last week we talked about some documentaries that were true crime, and now we're going to be talking about some adaptations of true crime. We absolutely are, um, with varying levels of, uh, what's the word? Success. Success. (laughs) Accomplishment. But anyway, we will talk more about that in a little bit. But first off... We're going to talk about social media. Where, Callum, can people converse with us in social media so form? On, uh, Facebook or Instagram. It's Untitled Film Podcast, one word. And we do now have a YouTube channel. So, you know, if you want to send videos to people, that's where, you know, you can direct them. Or And we'll be putting stuff up there soon, probably fun little bits, as well as our podcast in video form. We also appreciate likes on there, subscribes, as you say, sharing with other people, and comments. Comments are always good fun, uh, as long as they are positive. If they're negative, um, well, I'll probably still interact with it. nothing we can really do about well, that. But anyway. But yeah, and 
One of the fun parts of the socials is that we can interact with our audience. And this week we had one of our audience slash someone who's previously been on the show uh, messaging us. What were they messaging us about? They uh, messenger, messaged us about the movie. Usual the menu. Words. They had some opinions. Yeah, so after listening to our review, um, yeah, they, they had some thoughts. So I thought what we would do is maybe... Read out those thoughts. Um, Callum is going to play himself. I am. And I'm going to go and play Mr. Dogbrain Video. And as you know, he sounds like Scooby-Doo. So that's what the bit at the start of the show is about. Now all is revealed. Now it's genius. Now you're you're probably kicking yourself for turning off already. Mm. So give us a little cliff note of what kind of started the conversation. What happened? So he mentioned that he'd seen the menu and I said that, oh, well, you know, I was a bit more mixed on it, and Johnny liked it a little bit more, and I just wondering... Well, I wouldn't say I loved it. I no, think no, I gave it five or six. a little bit more, yeah, yeah. and I was a little bit more negative. And I asked him, kind of, what side did you fall on, me or Johnny? And he said, oh, he, he fell onto my side. And he thought it was... You know, he, he had some mildly complimentary things to say, but it was more in the negative. I think he kind of, the gist of it um, up until this part of the conversation was that he thought it was quite a good cast, but outside of that, didn't think a huge amount of it. He liked the acting. uh, He didn't think much of the execution. And so what he said was, I think if you took away everybody If you took away everybody in it and replaced them with worms, it would be a Waty Wicks film on Rotten Tomatoes. Agreed. <laughs> it's probably the weakest of the Kill the Rich satires, with nothing really interesting to say. Yeah, I thought that many times, just rough, rough them. <laughs> rough them now. Lol, yeah. He's an old guy, just punch him. The best twist was the girl being a pussy. But the ending was so silly, and the suic- with the suicide of marshmallows, you just wouldn't let that happen to you. <laughs> then I said, yeah, I like that, and I thought, but then that's where this message cuts off. What did you think? What Did you like the marshmallows then? I, I quite liked it. I mean, nothing in the film I disliked. I just was frustrated by the fact that it didn't go in harder. So there was nothing in the film that I thought, that's bad. I liked individual things, and the ending I did quite appreciate seeing them all go up in flames. I mean, I, I kind of agree with his overall point. If you took out the good actors and replaced them with not so good actors, then it would have been a worse film. But I think you can say that about any film, you, realistically. There, there's a lot of films you can say that about. And there's about, a lot yes. of films that have a middle at best script that have got, you know, one or two good performances that elevate them to a higher level. And sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, and I, I would argue that to an extent, Mr. Fine's did that but yeah it's not a masterpiece by any stretch of imagination but i think it's a i keep thinking good about sunday afternoon saying, watch uh, taco tuesday there's something about his delivery there yeah my favorite one was um where did you go to school <laughs> student loans no you're gonna die and i was like yeah fair play uh, i thought that was probably the funniest line in the film <laughs> it probably was but yeah it's a good one um I thought, as I, well, as I said before, I think it, it hit the five five laughs. Um, probably was more successful at being a kind of weird comedy thriller thing than one of the films we're going to talk about today. Anyway, uh, on from that, the next segment we tend to talk about is the news. Indeed, and do, before do, you do, know, do, 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 no, I'm going to turn it down. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry, I'll be good. Uh, um, yeah. 
news. Uh, would you like to go first, Mr. Sure. Sires? So uh, it's recently been announced that the BAFTA nominations have come out. And the big nominee is not uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, nor is it The Banshees of Inisherin. It's All Quiet on the Western Front. Because the BAFTAs like to go a little bit quirky. They've given that 14 nominations, where both Everything Everywhere All at Once and Banshees have tied with 10. So it's interesting to see where their favours lie. Yeah, I heard lots of good things about it, but I haven't actually watched it yet. I think maybe I'm First World Warred Out. It's been 1917 and various other bits and pieces of late. I think films about trench warfare, I get the same thing. I just recently rewatched Band of Brothers, and while, of course, that's excellent, it is exhausting watching Mm. that pain and suffering and death and explosions and bombs and gunfire. It is a lot to take. Yeah, no, I would agree. And yeah, um, but I, I'll probably watch it at some point. I do hear good things about it. But it's kind of interesting because, like you say, it is a bit of a quirky one because it's kind of been under the radar. I kind of get everything everywhere all at once, not getting it because it's the BAFTAs, but you would have thought that, that Banshees would have been a bit higher up on the rankings. That it's a, a favourite of theirs. And uh, they always have a nomination for an English actor who doesn't really get a look in anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And uh, this time it's... Um, the film with Emma Thompson, um, it's all good Leo Grand, uh, the film where she hires a uh, younger male escort because she never felt sort of any sort of sexual pleasure when she was younger. Oh, I did see a trailer and of it that. Was supposed to be very, I never saw it, uh, but uh, she's supposed to be uh, very good in it. And actually, so is the young man that plays Leo Grand. He also got a nomination. So, um, And he's. A, I've seen him in other things. He's a talented young man. So a BAFTA nomination isn't going to go amiss for him. Yeah, fair enough. No, they're they weird by the BAFTAs. They're very much the opposite of whatever a litmus test for the Oscars is. Like, they never line up <laughs> in any way, shape or form. Obviously, they tend to be biased towards British films normally. But... I think especially recently, because they changed their voting. And now they kind of just go for whatever they want. Because they did try to be the little brother or the little sister to the oscars and it just wasn't bringing in the viewership i think that's that they realized well what are we getting out of this by kind of kowtowing to the oscars let's just do our own thing yeah and exactly and and you know i think they play well in the uk because there's a a big section of the film audience in the uk love british films as they like love british tv and it's just my, my issue with british cinema and there's some brilliant films out there is they tend they tend to either be comedies and most of the time, fairly cookie-cutter comedies. They tend to be first and second World War movies because we apparently won them. Um, and because of that, people seem to be obsessed with it still because that was we the old glory days. We do amount of things that we yeah. like to talk about. Or it tends to be films about like old people retiring or old people remembering that they can do a thing that they used to do. Or well, It's like a Bill Nye in Living, which is actually a remake of a Japanese film. Oh, interesting. Kira Kurosawa film. But they, t- oh, and also kind of like um, spy movies because yes. um, we all were obsessed by James Bond and Jean Le Carre. So, um, yeah, we, we seem to have to make lots of spy movies. That That is basically the majority of British cinema these days, with the occasional gangster movie. Pretty much. Um, yeah, so that's my issue with British cinema, but there we go. At least we've got rid of uh, Guy Ritchie. He's in Hollywood now. <laughs> yeah, and they can keep him. Along with James Corden. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, my first piece of news, something we were, I think, talking about a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember which episode, but um, Tron 
which I thought Ooh. was dead you, yeah, in the water. I, uh, I got this as well. It, so we're going to have a big <laughs> conversation about it. It's back. It what? is back. Um, I, yeah. Well, obviously, we all thought it was very much dead. Um, we thought that they had... Disney had got... I don't know, 6,000 other franchises that they were making lots of money from and the film that they spent quite a lot of money on and probably just about scraped even was not one coming back. I mean, what's next? I mean, I love Tron, but Daft Punk have broken up, so I don't know who's going to do the soundtrack of the next one, so that slightly concerns me. The director's not coming back. The director's not coming back, which also slightly concerns me because I quite like... I think it must have been the Top Gun episode, maybe, because... Yeah, probably was. Top Gun's director. And... They've cast Gerald Leto. I, <laughs> I fucking hate Gerald Leto. Apart from a few thin roles here and there where his crazy overacting kind of hit the right note. Like they say, a broken clock's correct twice a day. When he was a young man, he was excellent. Yeah. Like uh, Fight Club and Requiem for, uh, for a Dream. But yeah, he just does these Even Dallas Spies Club, he's, he, he's very good in. But recently it's just been shock after shock and even when I'm watching like I, I love Blade Runner 2049 it's one of my favourite sci-fis of the last 10 years but his character is just really annoying he's like the worst character and he doesn't feel like he kind of does feel like he should be in the film but also doesn't like I just as There's Bojack something Horseman, incredibly inorganic about him yeah he, he just tries too hard he, just, he tries too hard um, as Bojack Horseman would say he is the honeydew melon of people <laughs> <laughs> anyway but yeah what what are your thoughts on uh <laughs> on uh, well, coming back i mean pretty much the same as yours not very good uh with there's some trepidation there i also the director they've got um i think his name is Joachim something his last name is uh Joachim running who directed the fourth or fifth pirates of the caribbean movie the one that nobody likes oh, okay and um um, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, the one that nobody really liked or talk about. I've never heard of it. The, the second Maleficent film. I didn't know there was a second <laughs> Maleficent film. <laughs> well, there you go. That tells you all you need to know. He's so, the guy that has directed two sequels that people are like, oh, yeah, I can, I, I can leave that. So this is a question. Is Jeff coming back? Um, well, none of the articles I've read have mentioned him. I feel like, because obviously... I mean, it's not too much of a spoiler here, but in case you haven't seen Tron Legacy and you're planning on seeing it, fairly early on in it, um, Cillian Murphy is a character. And you would just assume that the fact that Cillian Murphy's got like a five-minute role in it means he was going to be a big thing in the next one. And that's kind of what I expected. And obviously Olivia Wilde's are now a massive actress. And I quite like the main guy who, I forgot, I forgot oh, um, his name. Garrett. Headland, I believe. Yeah, I quite like him. So I kind of feel like I was set up they could do something interesting with them and then bring in Cillian Murphy. And it's like, I mean, Gerard Leto is a big step down from Cillian Murphy as an acting of point of view. Reminds me, do you remember Pacific Rim 2? Unfortunately, yeah. Several years after the fact. So all the things they set up in the first film, they kind of the relationships, they kind of scrapped. And they brought back a few characters, but most of them, except for the two scientists, were cameos. So uh, you got uh, Rinko Kikuchi back to play a cameo, only for her to be unceremoniously killed off screen. Yeah. No, it, but, uh, I mean, I, I was in China 
when it came out and I watched it in China and I've never seen a film that is a bigger money grabbed aimed at China like every <laughs> single beer there was like Chindao beer Jili car it was like everything Chinese every Chinese brand was just in there the rest of the world like okay if you go to a Chinese restaurant you might get Chindao but it's not like a big thing you're not going to go into a pub and they've, they've got Chindao on tap and it um, yeah it was it <laughs> It's just, it, it was quite clear. And I think Tencent paid for the majority of it. Um, who, for those that know, massive, massive Chinese company, but they also have a massive, massive cinema arm. And you'll see it a lot with like Transformers 17. Um, and they'll, they'll, their logo will flash up at the start of the film because they funded half of it because obviously those I films see. make bank in I China. I remember there's a scene where a Transformer crashes into a a truck, I believe, with uh, Chindao beer, and Mark Wahlberg opens, cracks one open, and pours it on one of the bad guys. <laughs> hey, you like that? You like that? You need to get some beer on you. <laughs> probably won't be the last time you hear the Mark Wahlberg impression today. <laughs> no. Hint, hint for what's coming up later. Um, so, so does this mean you haven't got a second piece of news? I don't have one, because that was going to be my second piece uh, of news. Well, I will tell you my second piece of news, which is James Gunn thinks his Guardians cast could join him at DC, which is a, a weird one. I mean, yeah, let's just steal the whole cast from a movie, come I mean, to a rival does, studio. He is one of those directors who likes reusing people, so there's probably going to be some Nathan Fillion cameos in his upcoming DC films. Um, pretty much all of, most of the Guardians team, except for Dave Batista, well, the main three, showed up in the Suicide Squad in tiny blinking yeah. miss roles, so it doesn't that doesn't shock me. Um, he's no, that kind I, of I director. Kind of, I find it interesting though that he, you know, might take over Gamora and Star Lord like that. That you know, mm-hmm. I feel like they will surely um, Marvel will roll out the money truck and try and get them. I know Dave Batista said he's not coming back. Yeah, well, he's getting on in years, and you know, the makeup, he, said he wants to do other things. He wants as to well. do other things, and his as an actor, he's getting more interesting than just sort of barking jokes like a, what wrestlers usually do when they're in movies is screech at the screen like a barking threats and stuff i think he's getting beyond oh, that david Batista is a genuinely really really <laughs> good actor very good. like the rock is obviously very bankable and very likable but from a like pure acting point of view i don't think there's a better not not wwe obviously um mickey rock's quite a good actor as well but yes um, and there's some old-timey english wrestlers hmm who went into acting, but that's, you know, that's a whole different That's a different thing. kettle of fish. But yeah, I was like kind of that WWE ilk. Like, like John Cena's very funny. He actually has very good comic timing. Um, but, you know, he's not got like a, a wide range. He's easy the comic or he's action and there's not much else. That's but pretty much Batista, two speeds. Yeah, yeah. But Batista, like, there is a range there with yeah, that man. Yeah, totally. I mean, most recently seen in the Knives Out sequel, he was very funny in that. He was very funny in that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he's also incredibly good in like, Blade Runner 2049. Um, very subtle. Very subtle. Yeah, you know, there's loads of things. Like, like, I, I quite liked him as Oddjob in James Bond. He was far more subtle than the original Oddjob. And we're going to be seeing him soon in the film we talked about fairly recently, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin. Yeah, which he also looks quite subtle in. And yeah, very, very um, threatening. Very Threatening, of... but also kind of like a chilled threatening. Yeah. If that makes sense. <laughs> so no, absolutely, it's... Uh, um, but it's an interesting one. I just thought, um, also, would you leave that? Would you leave that kind of 
perfection studio that is Marvel. I'm not saying that Marvel movies are perfect. But I know what you mean. Perfection like as in money, 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 they money. Out of film, it will probably make at least three quarters yeah. of a billion dollars. But the only one I can think of that's truly flopped recently is Eternals. Yeah, it did. But other than that, none of them have flopped, flopped, have they? They've all either made their budget back, plus even now they've got down to the Z-less superheroes. Yeah, well, if they can make an Ant-Man film that makes six or seven hundred million dollars, <laughs> I think I think they're doing pretty well. If only they just left their garage in there, I can it can make another couple of hundred. Yeah. But there we go. I think no, no point crying over that spilled milk. Well, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's gone, unfortunately. But anyway, with those pieces of news, I think we need to move on to the matter at hand. So, what are we going to be talking about this week? Well, we're going to start with talking about the miniseries Welcome to Chippendales, and we're going to chase that with Michael Bay's Pain and Gain. Wow. And they're both connected by the fact that they're uh, fictionalised, well, um, dramatised, rather, tellings of true crime stories. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll, we'll, I'll do the honours with, with Welcome to Chippendales. Okie dokie, go for it. So for those that don't know, Chippendales is a dancing men's troupe. Well, it's not, I suppose they are a troupe now because they travel around and do world tours is the majority of it, slash being in um, Vegas. But they were started off, it was basically the, the first kind of big American male strippers um, that were targeted for women particularly. Um, and it opened. it basically opened up in a club in L.A., um, with uh, with a guy who had he was an immigrant from India, kind of worked his way up and saved and saved and saved and wanted to open a high class club, basically that that was for wasn't it's not backgammon is it whatever game it was anyway wanted to play for some was it che- it wasn't checkers what was the game I think it was backgammon. was it backgammon it might have been backgammon then but yeah anyway to for for a kind of like um, a high class gambling club. Um, so he bought some old rundown nightclub and turned it into a, a backgammon club, let's say, uh, and it wasn't successful. So he then joined up with another guy who um, was what's the question? What's the word? Um, questionable. Um, but they together tried lots and lots of things. They had women's mud wrestling and various other shady things, and eventually found the idea of having male strippers. Got a load of male strippers in there. And no one had really ever catered to that before. Um, and it was incredibly successful very quickly. Um, after a little while, though, they realised that, that, you know, that it was just a bit seedy, that it wasn't that quality. He still had this idea to have something that was maybe a little bit better quality and something that other people couldn't just come along and copy because anyone could have some dancing men. Um, and in comes, basically, a um, television choreographer who he hired to choreographer the dancers to make it a bit more interesting to make people want to come back week after week and see different things um and eventually they kind of realized symbiotically they can't live without each other one was the money man one was the 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 i had to say visionary because he wasn't the person who came up with the idea but he one was the creative um and they kind of fell into a business relationship with each other which fairly quickly, as often these things do with egos and um, money is concerned, it falls slightly foul of some impropriety. <laughs> imp- impropriety, shall we say. Yeah, that's my 
my your, summing up. Summing up. <laughs> <laughs> what think, did you think? <laughs> well, I think with any true crime retelling, a, a, dramatiz- a dramatization of a true crime retelling, you always have to ask yourself, would it have been better use of my time to watch a documentary instead, of which I'm sure there's several of any of these stories. There's actually a very good one that came out a couple of years ago on, on Amazon because yes, I'd, I'd never heard of it before and then I watched the thing on Amazon and then this came out and I was like, oh, interesting. And so the TV show, the, the retelling, has to have something interesting about it, whether it's just acting or uh, uh, some, some sort of spark, some sort of um, something that makes it cinematic to make it worth your time. And I think, while it's not absolutely perfect, Welcome to Chippendales is very much a good use of your time it's uh it i mean it does skip around um the events because it like any of these things it has to crunch down several years into eight episodes and you know it has to show the rise and fall of these people and what happened to them and the darker side of the story and it has to crunch them into you know events that wouldn't have happened uh it has to make conveniences it has to make a um, use dramatic license, but as long as it doesn't feel like it's wasting your time, which I think uh, is a slight hint for the next film, um, <laughs> if it doesn't feel like it's wasting your time, then it's at least somewhat worth it, even if it's not a stone-cold 10 out of 10 classic. And I think here what you have is that it very much focuses on the story of the two men, uh, the, the, um, the two men who, as you say, one was the creative, one was the money, and they're both uh, very well played. I didn't know the other actor. Of course, um, a lot of people will know uh, Kamal Nagiani. Um, you know, he's been uh, very successful, Silicon Valley, The Big Sick, um, The Eternals, lots of things. And he's been very well community. known. As, uh, yes, community. Uh, he's a, a very well-known comedy actor. But he really is striking out at the moment with more dramatic performances. He has been for the last few years. And there's something about him. He's both confident and awkward. And there's there's a... a, Which is why he seems like in real life as well. Yeah, in interviews, if you watch him, he has a similar quality. But it's it's something, it's that that contradiction in his body, in in his... uh, Because, you know, he had to gain a lot of muscle for for the Marvel movie recently. So he does look very boxy Mm. in his suits. But it's it's sort of like a... He wants to present himself a certain way. It really lends him some credence to this character who is that kind of guy. He's very awkward in his skin. But when he gets a certain amount of money, when it gets to a certain amount of success, he wants to show it off. He has his tailor kind of move the uh, cuffs of his sleeves up to a ridiculous level where it would look really silly just so he can show off the magnificent watch that he has. And I think it's that's really the hook of the series because... This does fall into some uh, convenient areas. It falls into some uh, expected areas. Like if you've watched enough dramatic retellings of crime stories, you're going to find yourself hitting the same beats. And I think that this, well, it doesn't avoid them. In fact, it falls pretty much into the same traps as they come and go. At least it does it in an entertaining and presentable sort of package. So you're never bored watching it. And you always think, well, I could be watching a documentary, but this is fun too. And I think that shows it as something that is a very good, not a classic, but certainly worthwhile of your time. And, and Johnny, what did you think of it? So I think that it was 
incredibly well acted. I think big props to Kamal. Um, I, I like to see him be successful in anything he does because I used to listen to uh, the majority of Harmontown podcasts and he used to quite often pop up in those and so I just really like him um, from, from, yeah. from all those that time back. Um, but so I'm, and I thought he was excellent. I thought he played that role incredibly well. I also thought that the, the you know the the rest of the cast was really good. I thought uh, Murray Bartlett as Nick Denoyer um, was. He, he was excellent. Yeah, I was unfamiliar with him. He was perfect. Like he, you know, you know, absolute masterpiece. Um, Juliet Lewis always good fun, yeah. and she was perfect <laughs> playing exactly the right kind of character she should be playing. So yeah, just the whole kind of like lead cast. Um, was was excellent um i thought it did a pretty good nuts and bolts job of telling the story i thought it started to come unstuck towards the ending a little bit um i don't know if they like i feel like they didn't know how to land the ending and i also kind of thought it fell into the magic mike kind of trap a little bit of where actually well we could get some more women to watch this if we have a little bit more naked men dancing which you know it's no kind of i suppose in a lot of ways it's not a criticism um a lot of shows do that with women as well thinking oh yeah if men watch it we put more poor women in but actually i thought it it could have been two episodes shorter it's eight episodes long and i thought you could have done six episodes and then stuck the landing better and i kind of almost think did they not stick the landing because they were trying to make more time of when the club was open and you know the more good fun times um so that's probably my biggest criticism i think it's a bit uneven in places but i enjoyed the i enjoyed the staging i enjoyed um the yeah i I really enjoyed the acting and i really enjoyed the the characters and i thought it did a very good job of kind of fleshing out their relationships and their motives which these things don't always do i think uh one big benefit is that it's written and uh, well, it's created by Robert Siegel. And if you know that name, it's because he's also the creator of Pam and Tommy and also the founder of the film about the creation of McDonald's. So he, if anyone's an expert at turning messy, true life mm. stories into a slick, presentable, if not necessarily a classic, um, you know, this story really happened. Here's the true events. He's probably the guy to do it. To do it. it is very slick. It's uh, very controlled slickness. And... For the most part, it, it lands it. One interesting thing, I read up on the lives of the people, um, the real-life uh, people, and the wife of the main guy, of uh, the Indian guy, it's not really much known about her. In fact, there's almost nothing known about her. So pretty much anything you see in this show is complete fiction, just because they don't know That's interesting what, what, uh, what she's like. The documentary that I watched and the, the things that I read said that she didn't really... Um, I mean, this spoiler alert, but obviously there's a murder that happens. Um, after the murder happens, in the f- film, she kind of works out what happened and um, disowns him, really. Um, and I don't know if she does divorce him, but, you know, disowns him. Um, and in real life, apparently that very much didn't happen. Apparently she kind of quite defended him and said that he... Um, uh, he kind of was just misunderstood and that she wasn't a bad guy and, and yeah it's a quite a different different yeah, story different takes on it 
Um, but no, I, I, yeah, I think obviously there's always a certain level of creative license with these things. I think where, what this did better than some of the other ones that come, have come up more recently, like Dharma, I actually didn't mind Dharma. I thought it was a good central performance, but um, obviously the people said it was quite a bit exploitative and I kind of can see where they might say that from. And they also didn't really, I didn't think, did, did a very good job of looking at the psychology behind it and stuff, whereas I think this actually fleshed out that Steve Banerjee's kind of main background, he, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it, it all, you know, he, he had kind of, um, what's the, what's the word? Like, he, he kind of deep-seated insecurities as a person incredibly insecure yeah and and those insecurities were what kind of you know made him lash out and made him have this level of and i thought it kind of did quite a good job of explaining it wasn't a perfect job but i thought it did quite a good job of but you know it certainly and and the same with across the story about someone who was uh creating his own rope yeah well um and also the same with nick denoyer and kind of you know him being closeted um and kind of um you know the the story behind that and and how that kind of you know i suppose pushed him in a way to um you know want to to break out and succeed on him by himself and you know have some money and and things behind him so i think that stuff it did quite a good job i just thought the ending was a bit messy i didn't think it really it kind of jumped it was like a skip into the future too far i don't think it really explained that last bit very well. Yeah, the final two episodes that, and also I think uh, the, the dynamic was gone a little bit. But of course, I can't really mention it without spoiling it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, it was it was definitely a a good. I was going to say a good stab at it. Not the easiest stab, <laughs> but <laughs> for merge, that sounds a bit weird. But no, I, it was definitely a. Um, it was definitely well done. It was definitely incredibly well acted. Um, and I would, would say definitely watch it. Yes, I'd agree. Uh, a, a definite recommend from me. Perfect. And on that, let's stop for a commercial break. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome back from the commercial break. Well, I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah, hopefully they heard an advert. Uh, um, I've noticed at the minute um, that not all episodes in January, not just 
of our podcast of some very big podcasts out there actually um don't seem to have mid-roll adverts at the minute because january for anyone who knows anything about like youtube or or digital marketing uh no one wants to advertise in january because uh everyone spent all the money at christmas so it's a <laughs> stupid time to advertise so <laughs> you don't tend to get that many adverts this time of year but hopefully by the time you listen to this which will be in february that that lovely advert will be back and you don't just hear that a cast noise that you hear in the middle of all podcasts it goes Dil-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-
when I came into uh, into your house to record this, you had the last five minutes still playing. So clearly you uh, were really eager to watch it ahead of time. So what did you think of it? Well, I had seen it before, um, a very, very long time ago, probably a couple of years after it first came out. Um, and what can you say about Michael Bay trying to do an art house movie? <laughs> um, it, it's not very good for a start. Um, it... Uh, where do I start on this? Um, it's pretty hor- abhorrent in some ways. Um, it's it's kind of quite racist and stereotypy from its characterizations of people. It's incredibly misogynistic. It's homophobic at times. Um, now, obviously, you're not meant. Well, and this is and this is the bigger question. Pretty much every single person, apart from um, Ed Harris playing a retired cop who is fairly likable, every single person in this film is incredibly unlikable. And in real life, they would be horrible, horrible people. And they say horrible, horrible things, which then begs the question, who are you meant to be rooting for? And my guess is it's meant to be kind of an anti-hero. Bearing in mind as well, they've also got Anthony Mackie, The Rock, and Mark Wahlberg, all but one of whom are fairly likeable in real life. Um, You can decide which one I think is unlikable. Probably the one that blinded a guy. Um, But uh, they are not likeable. So straight away, the wheels come off that wagon. And then it makes you question, well, if they're meant to be likeable and they're saying all these horrible things, do these the things that the director kind of believes in? Um, So that's one massive problem I have with it, just from a moral point of view. Um, It's fucking awfully directed. Um, It's really ugly. Like, it's so badly shot. It's so horrendously annoying. Like, just fucking... Don't stop with the Dutch angles and stop moving the cameras. And why, why are you constantly, when people are having a conversation, doing like these hero angles and moving the camera around them? And then why, when there's even the slightest bit of action, is do you cut to like these GoPros that were from the, like the first generation of GoPros that looked like they were shot on a really terrible phone, but just for like tiny shots for a couple of seconds, like you realised your mistake, but you thought, fuck it, I've recorded it, I'll put it in anyway. Um, it... Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It starts off with the Mark Wahlberg character doing one of those, yeah, that's me. I bet you're wondering how I got here kind of moments. Like it's, so the, the script and the story is told in such an appalling way. But then it cuts between another character kind of doing one of those, I bet you're wondering how I got here too kind of moments. And then it happens about eight more times. I know, and it's just like, tell a story. And then it doesn't understand anything like it's really thick so there's a really example in the script at the end you've got the one likable character who if you were going to tell it from someone's point of view i would have told it from the ed harris character's point of view because he's the only likable person in there um because the 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 victims neither of whom are particularly likable so you don't really care that they're dead um it has ends with him saying it's just the small things in life that are important while it pulls away from him sitting on the end of his dock on this beautiful house he owns in the Miami waterfront, which must be worth, I don't know, the cost of Miami property, but I suspect it's like five, ten, fifteen million dollars. So yeah, that's really the simple life. It's not him sitting in the field eating a strawberry or something. It's him sitting on his multi-million pound house dock. Which by the way, how has an ex-cop got that as well? <laughs> um is he that good a PI? 
it just nothing about this film makes sense. It's ugly. It's really poorly put together. It's misogynistic. I mean, so it's the only thing I can say is it's probably one of the more chilled out Michael Bay movies from how it's shot. Which I is guess that's only because it, it's the only one that doesn't have an explosion. In well, it. exactly. Well, it has one or two. But not, not to the extent of a Transformers. No, 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 obviously not. And it, there's not as much shaky cam, which and is a positive, I suppose. It's a weird film because, like you say, it has those five or six different shifting narrative <laughs> points. Yes. And you kind of think, well, maybe they're trying to do something like, like Fargo or something. You can tell that, <laughs> you can tell that in their minds. It's get any further away from Fargo if you try. Yeah, from exactly. a quality point in of view. their minds, they, they think they're doing all these very clever <laughs> things. I think they think they're being really clever. And I think they think that they're hitting all these satirical points. Like um, the, the bit where he says, it's the simple things, and it pulls out to a, a big mansion. Well, maybe in, in screenwriting language, some they kind of slap themselves on the back and go, that's really funny, a bit of irony there. But it doesn't seem that way, that though. Good. It's just like, if it is, it doesn't come across. And if it isn't, it's just boneheaded. Yeah. And it's the problem that I said earlier, like of any retelling of a true crime story, would I prefer to just be watching an episode of Deadline? And this, for an hour on Deadline... Um, here's the story of three bodybuilders. That would have been great. I would have really liked that. But I would argue he's even not... It's, it is true crime in the shortest sense, but he's, he's trying to make a comedy. He's, he's trying, trying to be to a, a dark comedy. He's trying to make a dark comedy. But it's not funny. It's not satirical. In what way is it satirical? I, I think he's trying to... You know, having speeches about my American dream is bigger than yours, I think he's trying to... He think, I think he thinks he's being really clever here. But I also kind of think Michael Bay probably believes them and sides with them a bit and i think that's where i just don't think that michael bay has a satirical bone in his body i i think you're right i think he's i think he's too (laughs) dull of a person and i agree with pretty much everything you said but you said that it wasn't funny and boy howdy is it not funny (laughs) like the kind of awkward lurches to to uh improvised comedy like there's a scene where anthony mackie because he takes so many steroids his uh, he doesn't get uh, erections anymore he goes to see a, a doctor and the nurse is kind of flirting with him and they end up getting married and he says oh my my, my nuts don't work oh but they're more like raisins and she says oh well you know maybe they're chocolate raisins and you oh that's just gross you know, and it's, it's such the sensibility of Michael Bay talking about testicles and chocolate-covered testicles and racist, gross humour. There's also, like, pissing jokes, shit jokes. There's, again, all the things that Michael Bay loves. I remember a robot pissing in a Transformers movie, and it's, like, children's humour. Yes. He's a childish, churlish man. Oh, what The other thing is, he's done what Michael Bay does, is he doesn't understand quality or writing a good script, or pacing, or acting, or anything that you're meant to do in a movie. But what he does is he opens the checkbook and goes, oh, this is meant to be a comedy, and we want some, like, improvising comedy scenes. Let's get the checkbook out, and we'll get in Rebel Wilson, and we'll get in Ken, Ye- uh, Ken Jong, and we'll get, in, you know, we'll get in a few comedy people. And the guy who plays people. the boss um, uh, in the gym. Yeah, he, he, he's, in, like, he's, he's, he's bounded down of, and stuff, isn't yeah, he? he's in a bunch of comedies. We'll get some comedians, and... And then you have... Oh, like, we need to have good actors for a bit. Maury Chowkin, yeah. uh, sorry, no, sorry um, Tony Shalhoub, 
and Ed Harris. Yeah, yeah, that's actors. And people, even though this is meant to be my attempt at a art house film, we still need to get some people in bums on seats. So we'll get The Rock, and we'll get Mark Wahlberg, Andy Mackie wasn't obviously that big at the time, but you know, we'll get those checkbooks out. So it's like, oh, he he's like a collector of things that doesn't know what to do with the things once he's collected them. Islands of misfit toys. Yeah, like the movie The Island. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I actually thought The Rock was trying. Yeah, um, and uh, I would say I that. Think I think so they, often, I actually think they all were. I think every so often The Rock kind of tries to give a shit, like once every five years or so. And the scenes where he's kind of totally wasted because after they commit their crime and steal this money, he falls off the wagon hard. He he becomes a real druggie. And some of his stumbling around is quite funny considering just how big he is. It, it creates some fairly okay uh, slapstick comedy. It's not nearly enough. But I, I was surprised by how much I liked him in it. I just, in general, honestly think that the majority of the actors in it were going, oh, yeah, no, this is, you know, they're trying to do a smart movie here. This is going to be satirically funny. And, and when you're on set, maybe it seemed, you know, in isolation, maybe all these bits seem that way. Oh, yeah, no, he's going to... But again, it's just it's not edited together properly, the script doesn't hang together. Maybe when they read the script at first, like you say, it came across as quite good. But Michael Bay just doesn't know how to direct anything. He doesn't... Everything's just... It's lurid. It's not comic. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and they somehow he's... Uh, it's hard to describe without having seen it. it but when something's meant to be funny... Look. Yeah, yeah. Wait. Everything looks gross. It's it looks sticky. like a... It looks like... You remember there's that... Um, that video for that song call on me no is it the call on me one it was some dance song but oh push me and then just touch and everything's like it's all jiggling women and that's meant for two minutes or three minutes of doing that it's kind of meant to be a bit ironic and a bit comedy it's not really it's a bit lurid but it's a three minute music video and it's like he's done that for he's like he's seen that and gone yeah if we had a whole film of this that's really satirical yeah, it's really funny, but actually it's also like just barely naked women and barely naked punky men. So people will go and see that as well. And I don't know if it's a conscious or a subconscious thing, but he, he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get... It, it needs to be... If Terry, going back to last week, if Terry Gilliam shot something like this, it would be like really, I don't know, wide-angle fisheye lenses in people's faces and ugly and it would be like it's a horrible world and everyone would have stupid hair well they'd have stupid hair and things but, but also, it, would, it yeah. certainly wouldn't be um, it would feel it would feel disgusting not creepy and this felt creepy so yeah. rather than just this is how I shoot a film you know I've got 20 million I'm going to do it like this on these kind of really grotty cameras and it's just going to look gross you say 20 million it was, it was over 60 million dollars oh, budget yeah, and that was not. 10 years ago oh my god the screenwriters are the people I'm most surprised by. The uh, two guys that wrote this are responsible for pretty much the entirety of the MCU. They are the screenwriters behind uh, uh, first two Captain America films, the second Thor movie, Agent Carter, uh, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. And they've got four more projects ahead and two of them. Oh, well, one of them is a Marvel movie and the other one is a sequel to The Grey Man. And they also are the co-writers behind the uh, Chronicles of Narnia films. Mm-hmm. So there's Actually, so, you know, something... you are right. It's a lower budget than I thought. I, th- I misread it earlier. It's only just about $25 million. Yeah, I, thought it, I thought it was. I thought it was his attempt to do it, um, an art house budget. Or... Which then goes back to kind of like Mark Wahlberg and, and The Rock kind of reading the script and going, oh, this must be a good film. 
it's got good people attached. And it, and at which point I go, well, it's solely the domain of Michael Bay that this film has been. I mean, I don't think it was ever going to be um, The Sting or something, you know. Yes. But, I, it, it, you know, maybe in the hands of someone who's not a complete moron who can't should only be able to direct music videos and car adverts. Um, it, it it might have been a tolerable movie. And the other problem about having five or six different stories is because you realise quite quickly just how thin of a story this mm. is. It's, it could have been 90 minutes, It could film. have been 90 minutes. It could have been... I mean, it's a real nothing true crime. It, yeah. it sounds... It feels a lot more to me like a Deadline episode than it does. Even even having its own special on Netflix, I would feel, is too thin. There just isn't that much material to go around. No. And that's I think why they he, had to keep I, changing perspective. I do think you might have been able to get 90 minutes out of it. But I just remember looking... I remember looking at the clock at 54 minutes in thinking, well, this is 90% of the story wrapped up. Where do they go from here? And they did go a little bit further, but that was less than halfway into the movie. And I already thought they'd wasted 10 minutes in that 53 minutes. So you could have eased, you, you know, if you'd have made it a 90 minute movie, they might have been something in there. And if you'd improved the script a bit, and if you'd have got a director who just wasn't lurid and actually kind of Changed made it funnier, maybe. and maybe had comic timing and thing, you know. Yeah. I, the thing is with Michael Bay, when he's doing. He's quite, oh, I mean, I'm not going to stand here and defend him massively because he's just not a very good director. But I thought the first Transformers for a movie about toys was tolerable. And I thought, I think the original Bad Boys, for what it is, is fine. And I think The Rock, for what it is, is fine. And The Island has things that are likeable about it, but mm. isn't particularly good. But he's not like flat out awful. But this film, they almost distilled the things he's good at and took them away from him for this film and left him with all the things he's not good at, which is comedy, direction, um, and pathos. Yeah, there's, uh, there's the nothing things in his that he, storytelling. No, he, those are things he cannot does not have and taste. They're, like, they're things he doesn't have. If he, it's a movie about like explosions, if it's you know, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith driving down a hill in a hum Humvee, then, you know, maybe he can do that quite well. But it, it's, if you know what I mean? Like if no, absolutely. <laughs> um, recently, did you see Ambulance? No. It's a remake of a, uh, I can't remember where in Europe, but of a European film. And the European film is 90 minutes, kind of fun knockabout action comedy uh, about two thieves that steal an ambulance and there's a man dying in the back and there's the... Um, the, the ambulance crew trying to save him. So that's a pretty good idea for a comedy. The Michael Bay version, they get into trouble with the cartels. It's two hours long. He employs this GoPro guy, uh, not GoPro, sorry, um, uh, um, drone flyer, like the best drone flyer in the world. Like you said, he hires people. Mm -hmm. So there's certain weird insert shots of a camera climbing a wall for no reason and then doing a loop-de-loop -loop and then kind of, go, um, kind of needling through these tunnels and go, okay, that's an impressive demo. I'd watch a demo with that. It's ugly in a film, in this two-hour bloated mess that came from a tightly paced, funny, 90-minute European comedy. I know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I once saw a interview with Michael Bay where he said his favourite film ever was the original West Side Story. And then they had him, it was not one of those ones that for like empire or something um and they had him then going over his favorite scene and he was like yeah i love this shot i love the way the camera does that i love this i love that 
And it wasn't, I love the camera. It wasn't things like, I love the way the camera does that because it shows this feeling of this character or it does that. It's because he was like, it's because it looks dynamic. It looks dynamic. It looks dynamic. And that's all he knows. He just, he just thinks that putting dynamic things next to each other. If I get a dynamic comedy actor and a dynamic drone pilot and a dynamic shot where even when they're talking, the camera's spinning around them and spinning around them and spinning around them at a wonky angle it's going to look dynamic and it's going to look big and it's going to look good and it's going to be great. And if I, if I do someone spitting in slow motion, that'll be funny. And if I do someone pissing themselves in slow motion, that'll be funny. And if I do someone walking out of a root bathroom going, sorry, I've shot everywhere, that'll be oh, funny. That was so horrible. <laughs> and it's just, and then, you know, and it, yeah, it just, it, the things he's good at is not in this film. And he's not good at that many things. This so. is the soul of an <laughs> ugly man and his soul is bared out. I remember Mark Kermode saying that um, this is Michael Bay's attempt at an indie movie. So we get to see his whole uh, his soul and it's as black <laughs> and as horrible as you expect it to be. Yeah. I think it's interesting that he seems to not be allowed to make big movies anymore. It is odd. He's no longer the guy, is he? No, it... I don't think the last few Transformers were particularly successful. Um, and I understand that he's incredibly difficult to work with. That like pretty much every actor who's ever worked with him has fallen out with him eventually. Yeah, Whether it Megan be on Fox. the first film or the second film or the third film, it's not just Megan Fox. There's a lot of actors out there. I don't think Shia LaBeouf's the biggest fan of him these days. Not that Shia LaBeouf is particularly <laughs> um, <laughs> the greatest judge or character, maybe. But I think there's a lot of people out there who just not friends with him anymore because i think he's just a bit of a i think he's basically a you know classic tyrannical director but without any of the talent so you know if you're getting drilled by stanley kubrick you you probably will just suck it up uh, i'm working with stanley kubrick yeah but when (laughs) when you're getting shouted at by fucking michael bay you're like it's not worth it transformers four or something (laughs) absolutely (laughs) Michael, um, Mark Wahlberg might like that kind of thing, but that's another story. Oh, great. Michael, you're going to be shouting at me, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great, because I love pain and I love gain. So this is like my perfect, you're my perfect director and this is my perfect movie. Yeah, he's, it, it's a good match of star and, and director <laughs> because they're both quite ugly in their, uh, in their being. Hey, Michael, say hi to your mother for me. Hey, Michael, say hi to your mother for me. <laughs> And that's how we're imagining they're both talking. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Anywho, um, <laughs> Ooh, I, I think uh, I think there were some opinions said there. <laughs> yeah. And you guys can decide whether to agree. But anyway, so let's go to Chippendales. What are your thoughts uh, and well, score? Welcome to Chippendales. Was uh, pretty good. Um, you know, it, it wasn't perfect, but uh, it justified it, its existence, which is something true crime retellings have to kind of fight against. And it was entertaining. It was slick. The acting was good. Not perfect uh, for the reasons mentioned. So I give it a solid seven out of ten. Yeah, uh, I think I would agree. I think it's uh, it could have been it should have been a bit shorter, maybe could have been a bit tighter in places, but not in the costumes. Wink, wink. Um, Boom. <laughs> um, but well acted and you know easy watch, bit of popcorn. So yeah, I would give it a seven as well. And pain and gain. Oh, it's just awful, uh, ugly, nasty, black in its soul. Um, misogynist, 
homophobic, racist, all the things that we come to expect with just the weirdest filmmaking instincts from a man who it just has the grossest sensibilities. So a, a one out of ten. I agree with you on everything you said. I think for... I thought Ed Helms was okay. I thought The Rock Ed was... Harris. Ed Harris, sorry. I think The Rock was okay. Um, I thought Anthony Mackie was okay in points. I... Is there anything else I thought was okay? I'm going to give it a scrape too. But then there's another part of me that's like just from the pure hatred of how misogynistic <laughs> everything is wants to give me a zero. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm d- just for The Rock, I'm going to give it a two. Okay. Um, but so this is a question I think is worth asking. So we have one other film that we found repugnant and repellent that we've watched we've watched on this before, which was Blonde. Do you hate this or Blonde more? I think Blonde, because Blonde has these... I think maybe somewhere in the script level there's some idea that this is a satire but uh you know it it portrays itself quite a lot for a shit joke or a piss joke or whatever it might be so it's not really a satire it's just when the director will come to defend this they'll say oh it's a satire whereas blonde really does believe that it's telling the big important story about sexual violence in in hollywood he really really believes it he really believes it with his whole soul and just for that 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 kind of contradiction I, I hate blonde more this i can dismiss i know with this i know it is technically true crime but they're not people that anyone really knows who's going to meet in the street and a lot of them are kind of amalgamations of characters as well the main two anthony mackie's character and mark Wahlberg's character kind of existed but like the rock's character is an amalgamation of people combination of about four people yeah and stuff and you know so it doesn't feel as real life whereas blonde is exploiting one person in my mind. Yes. Um, and that's, I think, where I felt... This is just awful shite and is not a very nice movie. Um, and, you know, the, the same kind of people who would watch it and really like it, the same kind of people who would like Andrew Tate. Um, it's got that kind of, like... Oh, yeah, very much so. That's a good, good comparison. <laughs> that kind of vibe about it. So it's pretty awful from that point of view. So I don't think it's harmless, but I think Blonde is exploitative in the extreme and that's why i think i gave blonde a zero didn't i or whatever yeah, so i think we did um so yeah i much in a way i hated that more but this just wasn't entertaining in any way and and just how you know if it wasn't as sexist and repugnant as it is maybe i would have given it a four for trying some things and doing some stuff but that makes me really bring it down because i just it makes me feel you feel a bit dirty after watching it oh yeah there's a there's a whole ickiness to this whole thing from the photography which is always showing just how sweaty they are and greasy to (laughs) how often they're topless as well topless uh to the just the gross humor yeah everything about it just makes you kind of want to scrub yourself yeah it is pretty disgusting but anyway on that cheery note so yeah if you want some easy popcorn watching have a look at Chippendales, if you, which is weird to say about a true crime thing, but the, <laughs> the crime doesn't feel that... It's only a, it's quite a small part of it, really. Yeah, yeah, really only the last few episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, whereas uh, don't watch Pain and Gain, you have been warned. Do not watch it. Goodbye. Bye.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.